We thank you for every person here today. It's not some coincidence, Lord, that we're here, or it's some kind of uh, lucky thing, Lord. I think it's divine appointment, so we're here. And I thank you that you want to speak to our hearts, speak to mine, our hearts, let our ears be open and receptive, and we ask that in Jesus' name. Everyone agreed, said? Amen. Hey, thanks, team. incredibly grateful this week for rain. Oh, great. My lawn no longer looks brown, it looks green. It's always good, isn't it? Um, and uh, I was just mindful that as we sang that song this morning, our praise go, ups, the ra- the praise go up, the rain comes down. and That's wonderful. God is a God who wants to bless. And sometimes we may think, well, what happens in the dry times when there's no rain? I, I want to tell you, still God is a God who wants to bless. It doesn't change. Just sometimes we expect things our way, what we want to see happen, and uh, it doesn't always happen that way. It doesn't need to change your attitude towards God, does it? Amen. Um, of all the stories in, uh, in Scripture, in the Bible, if I was to say to you, Daniel, what would you associate that to? Lion's Den, okay? Uh, exactly. Do you know even people who have never read the, the story of Daniel in the lion's den, saying, style, you're champion, uh, have never read that story, could quote it to you and, and qu- probably tell you quite accurately because they've heard the story. Isn't it amazing how the world knows, well, maybe that Western world certainly knows some of those common stories, whether it's Jonah and the whale or Daniel in the lion's den or it's, you know, whatever it may be. And this morning, I wanted to take some time just to look at Daniel's story. I think it's an incredible story, Daniel chapter 6. And I want to draw your attention. We'll just, uh, I found a, there's many pictures of Daniel in the lion's den. I found this one interesting and appropriate. Uh, he's kind of relaxing there. It's, a, uh, it's an artist's impression um, some centuries ago who, who painted that. But uh, I think it's, uh, I think it's, uh, set, it's a suitable picture. Um, I think, he's, uh, I think he's actually uh, not kind of keeping the line away. I think he's just, um, maybe he's uh, praying. <laughs> but anyway, but I thought it was appropriate. And uh, I'd like us to read uh, this story, Daniel chapter 6. I'll have it on the screens for you in a moment. But, you know, I always think it's good to set the scene of Daniel's life. Maybe you might know this story really well this morning, but maybe you don't know what led up to this story. Daniel was a young man of about 16 years of age when he was taken captive from Jerusalem by a Babylonian army and taken into Babylon, hundreds, probably a thousand or so kilometers away, where present-day Iraq is, where the Persian Gulf, not Iraq, Iran, the Persian Gulf. And and, and so he was taken away from the Mediterranean Sea of Jerusalem and taken over there at at the tender age of about 16. He was a good Jewish young man. We believe he came from a noble Jewish family. And he was taken into a completely diverse and a different culture to what he was used to. They did things differently. They didn't even believe in the one creator God of heaven and earth that we believe in. They had all false gods. So as a tender 16-year-old, he's taken into these cultures, ungodly culture. Um, and at this point, when he's thrown into the lion's den, he has now served in the, under three kings uh, of Babylon. Two kings from the Babylonian Empire, one king from the Persian Empire. He's served for 65 years. So he is presently around 
this picture doesn't do it uh, any um, justice because he's presently, he looks about 35, he's about 81. So Daniel, at the time he went into the lion's den, was that, of that age or around that age. So he wasn't a young man. Um, but the incredible thing for me is that the, of all the stories in the Old Testament, part of the Bible, here is a man that has incredible resilience in the face of such differing culture to his own. Here's a man that stood up for what he believed in and yet probably faced so many pressures. And certainly while he didn't face the lion's den on too many occasions, only one in fact, uh, and this probably accumulated in one of the peaks events of his life, not the most exciting, you would have to agree, this wasn't on Daniel's to-do list. <laughs> and so often, it's not on our to-do list either. Being thrown into lion's den is not the most, it, it isn't in our calendar. But you know what? As much as Daniel faced his lion, sometimes we face ours. We face our struggles. We face our moments in life where we just think the end is nigh. <laughs> Or there just doesn't seem to be light at the end of the tunnel. Or there is just some pressure, some stress on our life, some circumstance that isn't good. And I'm really in need of some breakthrough, some intervention on God's part. I need some, I need some miracle. And this morning, I just want to talk to you about receiving your miracle, receiving your breakthrough, receiving your answer in the midst, not so much even, um, you know, when you're not in the midst of problem, but in the midst of it, right in the midst of it, how do you cope with that? You're in the, you're, you're in the, the den of lions. So can we read uh, this passage? As I said, Daniel is one of the most resilient and incredible uh, young men grew up to. He lived all his days in uh, Babylon. He served two Babylonian kings. He's presently now serving King Darius as a Persian king. And this is how it goes. So let's look at this passage. Daniel chapter 6. We'll just start at verse 1. It just says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps. The word satrap is just basically talking about um, it would be something like our political leaders of today. And to be over the whole kingdom. And over these, he had three governors. One of whom Daniel was one. That the satraps might give account to Daniel and the other two governors, so that the king would suffer no loss. In other words, the king wanted some incredibly intelligent people, wonderful, wise people to look after his kingdom. Three of them, one Daniel was one of three, and then under Daniel was 120 others. And this Daniel, verse 3, distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. I love the word excellent. It literally means exceeding. He had more than others. He had something he had more than. He had something wonderful equality in his life. And then the king gave thought to setting Daniel over the whole realm, over his whole nation, to IC. Verse 4, so the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could not find uh, any charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in Daniel himself personally. So it's interesting, we'll just pause for a moment before we read on. It's interesting because Daniel uh, obviously uh, was a man that uh, it's, uh, he didn't set himself up, but everybody could see, and the king included, King Darius could see that this Daniel was a man of great wisdom, and a man of great stature, a man who knew how to conduct himself and how to uh, rule well, and so he had this mind to set him as two I see in the kingdom. Obviously, there was some jealousy in the ranks, and so uh, the two other governors and the other satraps 
oh, well, some of them sought to find fault with Daniel, and they couldn't find a fault with Daniel because his work ethic was brilliant, he was faithful, he was committed, personally, he was beyond reproach, and they thought if we're ever going to find any fault with him, we're going to have to find fault with his belief and his worship of his heavenly Father, of his God. And so they set this trap, they appeal to the king's ego, and they say, oh, king, may you live forever, this is all the other leaders, not Daniel, can you set up a, we'll set up a law and uh, for 30 days no one will worship any other God or any other man except you, O king. What do you think of that? And the king thought, well, who's greater than me? You've got to be careful of ego, haven't you? He says, who's greater than me? He didn't, we don't see that in scripture, but that's what he thought. And he says, yes, and he's, he seals the deal and he makes the law and he signs off on the legislation and it's a d- done deal. No one will worship any other God or any other man for the next 30 days except himself. Of course, uh, this created something of a struggle uh, for Daniel, because it wasn't about setting a law, it was about catching Daniel out, wasn't it? And so let's go to verse 9 and 10. Uh, We'll just follow on here. And it says, Therefore, King Darius, this is the same chapter, chapter 6, King Darius signed the written decree. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Brilliant. So we see Daniel's response. It's a wonderful response. Um, uh, uh, Daniel didn't run away. He ran into God. Uh, And then, of course, what happens is, is that the... Other leaders, the political opponents to Daniel, we could say, found out that Daniel was, they saw him worshipping, they took a video of it, probably not, but anyway, that's just giving you some modern cultural customs here. Uh, They presented it to the king and they said, oh king, may you live forever, didn't you actually make a law that no one would worship any other god for the next 30 days except you? He said, yeah, of course. He says, well, we found Daniel, oh, and the king's heart dropped and he realised he'd been tricked. Because their whole heart was not to set up legislation, it was just to, get, uh, just to get in power. Sounds familiar sometimes in their own political arenas. <laughs> but, you know, uh, reality was, is they wanted Daniel out of the picture and they tr- tricked the king. The king spent all day trying to get Daniel out of this situation so he didn't have to be thrown to the lions at the end of the day. Unfortunately, uh, Darius had to cast Daniel in the lions. And let's read from verse 16 and uh, let's see what it says. So the king... Um, gave the command, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Uh, what a great statement from a heathen king. He doesn't believe in God. He will deliver you. I don't believe in God, but I'm sure he'll deliver you. Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring, with the, the signets of his Lord. And then the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. And now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no musicians were brought to him. And, all, and also his sleep went from him. And the king rose early, very early the next morning, and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting, lamenting voice. Um, not lamenting, but lamenting voice to Daniel. Didn't lamenate the cat. The king spoke, saying, Daniel, <laughs> Daniel, what a stupid ad. Daniel. <laughs> But we all know it. That's why they get us in, don't they? Yeah. 
If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's fine. You haven't missed out anything. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And instead of hearing a, a, a bunch of lions saying, we've just had a wonderful meal, he heard Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. So Daniel was alive. Is that right? He was alive. My Lord God... Daniel said, I sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, so they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. He just thought he'd get that in. I think that's a great statement. I've done no wrong before you, king. And the king would have had to think about that. I know you never did any wrong. It's those rotten other leaders. And if you read on, the king grabbed those leaders who tried to... um, uh, tricked the king and threw them and their women and children, which is seems very harsh punishment. But anyway, threw them into the lion's den. It says, if you were wondering whether the lions had been fed before Daniel went in, they hadn't because when those people were thrown in, it says their bodies did not even touch the bottom of the lion's den before the lions jumped on them and, uh, of course, killed them. So they were hungry. It's just that Daniel was not on the menu. So... Being thrown into the lion's den was, as I said, not on da- Daniel's daily agenda. It wasn't his, on his to-do list. But Daniel, of course, was backed into a corner. Uh, hum- humanly speaking, he, he was in a no-win situation. If you think about it, if he was to say, I will, um, of course, I will worship my God as, I, as is my custom. I will go and do what I do and pray and give thanks to God, which he did. Of course, he was at risk of being found out and thrown in the lion's den. And so that was a consideration. You know, pray to God, lion's den. Pray to, you know, worship, you know, eaten alive. Um, he had to weigh that up. The other uh, thing, of course, that was no good for him was the fact that he could see that if he was um, to not worship his God for the next 30 days and not talk to God about life and not pray and not spend time with him, then he would have to deny his faith and he'd have to worship the king and he didn't want to deny his faith. So we know Daniel was, even though it felt like he was in a, backed into a corner, for him, I think in the end, there was only one simple answer and that is not run away from his faith but run into his faith in the midst of the possibility of being eaten alive. Sometimes I want you to know that our God, see, is in the business of intervening in our lives. And it's a time when the lion's den experience comes and the pressure and the, and the struggle and the things of life um, comes our way. It's not, I want to encourage you this morning that it's a time to realize that to make the decision, you know, worship, put my God first, eat the alive. You feel like the problem wants to eat you alive. You feel like the stress wants to take you down. You feel like the, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. I want to tell you, it's not a time to run from God. It's a time to run into Him. Even though it could end up in drastic and terrible circumstances, as Daniel thought possibly could happen if he worshipped his God. I want to just stop for a moment and say, I believe uh, that this story is all about how to receive your miracle. All about how to receive your answers. All about how to see your breakthrough. All about how to see God intervene. I want to say God this morning is more than happy to intervene in our situations. And it's just that sometimes we, he doesn't intervene as we think he should, but he does want to, the best for you. It's all about us finding uh, the, 
release valve from pressure and stress. And maybe today the circumstances, you want them to turn out for good. Maybe you're right in that den right now, uh, today. And the truth is God wants it to turn out for good. Not, not so much um, to change what you're in, but to bring a wonderful outcome. Sometimes, who knows, you've got to go through the valley to get to the other side to see the sunrise. So for Daniel, that was the story. Daniel could have said, well, God, you could have just uh, saved me from the lion's den. And God obviously allowed him to go through it. Uh, and there can be times, what would have been times for Daniel when he just didn't know, well, I'm, I'm being lowered down. This is the end, possibly, unless my God intervenes. And that's okay. I'll just trust him anyway. But, you know, God brought him through. So I want to talk to you this morning. How do you get your breakthrough? How do you get your miracle? I want to share some incredible principles from Daniel's life. I've said all that to say this. And... Uh, I want to encourage us this morning in this area. If in verse 10 you can just see clearly, uh, we'll just go back one. Verse 10 is a key verse. It just says very clearly that Daniel knew that the writing was signed. He went home and in his upper room with his windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom since his youth. There is another verse there, a little couple of words we've missed out. But so I want the first thing I'd like to say, I love Daniel's response to the problem he faced. He went to his upper room. He had a place that he regularly just met with God. He had a place that he, he knew that God would be. Um, he didn't go and, you know, you've got to understand something here. Daniel didn't go and pray and give thanks to God because he was a rebellious man. Well, I'll just show them. I'll go and pray to my God anyway. Uh, I'm just, I'm just going to defy what the law says. You know, if you speed and uh, get caught, uh, don't say, well, God, why didn't you save me from getting a speeding ticket? That's just plain dumb. But would you agree? Uh, the point I make is Daniel wasn't about to do, the, he wasn't trying to defy the law just for the sake of it. He wasn't rebellious. I want to tell you this. No, he prayed. He didn't, he didn't go and pray to God because he wanted to thumb his nose at the legal system. No, he prayed to God because he knew where the answer lay. And now we're trying to take away the answer. And that's what the enemy wants to do in your life, take away the answer. If, God can if, people, if the enemy can alleviate God out of your life, uh, he's alleviating the answer. He's alleviating the, 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 uh, uh, the options, the help, the hope. And this morning, I just want to say, have you got an upper room, a place where God and you can just meet? And I want to say this morning, it's not so much a geographical position, okay, of the, your um, physical body. It's a geographical position of your heart. It's a place where your heart needs to be. Because the truth is, you can spend time in an upper room, wherever it may be. I've got several physical locations that I can just talk to God about life and just tell Him about my life and, and, and let Him have it and also worship Him and let Him tell me what He thinks of me. And, and there's places, you know, one of them's in this building right back there in that corner over there. Through the week, I'll just come in here and sometimes, and, and just for half an hour, I'll just go and jump and, on those seats back there and have all the lights off and turn on one fan and... And just say, God, here it is. I just got to meet with you at the moment. I just got to tell you, there's a lion den right here. And I just, I don't want to go through it, but God, I just need your help. I got another place at home. It's just one of the rooms at home that I'll just go. I, I often find laying down helps me, sometimes walking, but laying down. Some people walk when they want to talk to God. I lay down 
and it's not usually, I don't do it at night late when I'm tired for obvious reasons. But you know, the truth is location is not the issue, it's the location of your heart. You can do it in your car, you can just say, God. But I want to just challenge you this morning, have you such a relationship that you could talk to God about life? Have you got that kind of upper room heart attitude? Because I want to tell you, if you want to have your miracle and your breakthrough, you've got to always start right there. Prayer is not, prayer is not, um, you know what prayer is? It's gathering up the results. The rest of the actions is just, I mean, I've got it that wrong. Prayer is where, where the victory is won. The rest is just gathering up the results when you go out into the life through the week and do life. But prayer is where the victory is won. You know what? I, I'm just glad. You see, the reality for Daniel, um, you know, God wants to take... God wants to take your upper, some time in your upper room with him. You know what your time does in those upper rooms? It turns the lion's den into a petting zoo. That's what it does. And what you thought was going to be so big and so enormous and such pressure and such circumstances, I tell you, God in your upper room gives you the victory and you go and live out and you find when you get into that lion's den, it's just an opportunity to give a couple lines a pat in the head because they're not interested in eating you. Because God has intervened. Do you want your intervention? Do you want your miracle? Do you want your breakthrough? I think that's where it's going to come. Prayer of righteous people is powerful and effective. And it avails much. And I want to just say it's that place um, where you'll find that God will take that struggle and turn it around. It says in Scripture that um, in the first verses 1 to 4, it says that Daniel had an excellent spirit. And as I thought about that excellent spirit thought, the truth is the excellent spirit really meant just he had an exceeding, he had more than um, spirit. And I asked myself the question, how did he get that excellent spirit? I want to say it wasn't self-effort. In a sense, it, 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 it wasn't like Daniel was more attract, uh, God was more attracted to Daniel than he would be to you and me. God is... Self-effort will never attract God's heart. You know, trying to do it all in your own. Well, if I do this and this and this and God will be pleased with me. God is pleased with you right now, but you say, you don't know what I've done. I tell you, you know, he's not pleased with that. He's just pleased with you. And, you know, so often if we would just come to God and God, even though self-effort doesn't attract God, God is attracted to us all the time. He loves us all the time and he's just waiting for us to be attracted to him. There's a difference, isn't there? So you can be, a, you know, think, God, you know, if I do this, I'll get your attention. No, you've got God's attention. It's just that you need to get your attention focused on the right source. And that's our Heavenly Father. And the excellent spirit, you're never going to have this excellent spirit or this spirit that's got more of God unless you connect to the excellent spirit. See, it wasn't Daniel's spirit. It was the presence of God in him that made all the difference. And if you never connect to the source, you'll never have the, this Holy Spirit. And the more we have of His presence, the more excellent He is in us. And so no one can boast, it's God in us. No one can say, well, look how good I can do, or my ability, or my incredible. No, it's not. It's God in us that makes the difference. And Daniel had found that his miracle and breakthrough had always been found in the upper room, in that place where he just communicated and talked with God. You know, there's times in my 
life that I, there's things I do each week that just refresh me emotionally and physically. You know, I'll go for a run that, that really refreshes me emotionally. It doesn't refresh me physically. It gets me pretty tired, but it does something to my emotional man. And I just feel like when I go for a little run, I can just wipe out everything else for just a, a moment. You know, that box men that we have, we can just forget about everything else and go to our nothing box. Who's, who's been there? Who's there right now? So I find that physical, emotional, sometimes I find physical energy is added to me. Um, Sometimes I watch a game of football. Who watched a game of football last night? Just me, okay. Just a couple of people. Thanks, Shah. And that that replenishes me emotionally and physically because I can lay down and watch football. That's lovely. But I want to tell you that sometimes I've just discovered if I want to be be replenished spiritually, I'm going to have to swap some screen time for God time. I just need to, some of, in other words, what I'm saying is some of the times that I think, oh, you know, I'll just go and do, no, 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 just because you even exercise profit a man a little, but spiritual exercise profit much, doesn't it? So we've got to weigh up how we use our time. I want to tell you, you never waste your time in God's presence. He always gives it back to you somehow, somehow you get the jobs done. See, our human nature I've discovered my human nature will always degenerate to low points when I don't connect with a higher power than me. And my human nature will always want to take me to a lower level of living, a lower level of thinking, a lower level of acting. Uh, Left to my own devices, human nature can be unhelpful at best and destructive at worst. My human nature, that's me. I'm not talking about you because I know this is an incredible church of people, but certainly I face these things. Is that, and you know, Paul said, I do the things that I don't want to do. That's what Paul's talking about. Paul also said, he says, you know, my, my fleshly man and my spiritual man, they war sometimes. These things I don't want to do, I do. They war, they attack. And you know, I discovered who will win, spiritual or your human man. It depends who you feed the most. Depends who you feed. As much as the excellent spirit was God's spirit in Daniel, there's one thing that sorts Daniel from the rest of the governors and the other political leaders of the day. It's the same thing that will sort out us, whether we're just going to be nominal in our faith, nominal in our walk, and just kind of just get through. It's okay. I know where God's address is. If I need any help, I'll talk to him. Or we become excellent in spirit and hot to trot for him and exceeding in our walk with God, and that is that Daniel obtained an excellent spirit because he knew where wisdom, he knew where the answers for life come from, he knew where he was going to find direction and guidance, and he knew that was going to be in the place of meeting with God. He knew that, and he made a consistent effort to tap into the power, and that was God. So the first thing is that, have you got this upper room? And it's not the geographical positioning, it's the heart positioning. Second thing that I find with Daniel just incredible that it says in verse 10, the second, as soon as he went into his room, upper room, his windows open towards heaven or open towards Jerusalem. And remember, he's in Babylon. So where's Jerusalem in regards? He can't see Jerusalem. But he opened, he obviously opened towards, because if he's in Babylon, geographically, he'd have to open his windows towards the northeast. Maybe that's why our precious Muslim brothers and sisters always pray to Mecca. 
And if you've been into a Muslim country, you'll see even little arrows in their motel rooms pointing to the direction of Mecca where they need to bow so many times a day. But here we see that um, God, Daniel actually does the same thing. Now, it's not a heathen thing. It's just that he's remembering his homeland. I think he's just remembering that's where I come from. He's just remembering that's where the temple is, that I geographically locate God. But I'm thankful that God's not just there, but he's here. So it's not a bad thing in that sense. So he knelt down. Here we go. He knelt down on his knees. I love the heart of Daniel. Here is a man who has been considered to be the next 2IC to the then known world, biggest empire in the then known world. The Medes, the Persians, and the Babylonians. This is a man that is, is high up in rank, and now he's been considered to be second only to the king. And yet we see this man kneels before his God. I want to tell you what will give you a miracle, your breakthrough. That will continue to help you just to see the light at the end of the tunnel and God intervene. And it's not out of effort, but it's just in relationship. But this is it. It's simple surrender to our Heavenly Father every day. Because I've discovered in my personal life, pride and arrogance always want to creep into my life. And pride and arrogance don't take me towards my God. It takes me away from my God. Because it's part of my human nature that I don't want to really rise up, but it wants to rise up. I've discovered the most crippling attitude in today's society is pride and arrogance. Daniel didn't display that. He displayed incredible humility, incredible passion and desire is to continue to remain humble before his God. I love that. And I, I've discovered that pride doesn't necessarily come on full frontal attack. It'll just try and creep into your life. Isn't that true? Pride will come and creep into your life when you see a person or maybe who isn't of the same standing as you. And you'll say, oh man, they need to sort themselves out. It could be just pride. That's the issue right there in your heart. Maybe pride will creep in when we see people fail. I knew they were like that. I would never lower myself to that step. Maybe pride creeps in when we see people of higher education or greater ability and we put them down because they, say, well, they think they're better than everybody else. Maybe it's because you've got an issue with some pride. Maybe they don't think that at all. It creeps in when we, when we, when we fail and we don't want to acknowledge it and we just say, well, I've got this in control. I can handle this myself. Don't need anybody's help. When really, sometimes it just says, share with a brother and sister. Get the support you need. It can creep up in our Christian experience, pride and arrogance. You know, I've been a Christian a while now. I know what it's all about. Uh, and, you know, the way we used to do things the old way. Yeah, good. We've got to be careful. I'm not saying that's always the attitude, but issue. But, you know, just be careful that we that we don't allow pride and arrogance to real hearts. It can creep up in our belief systems. Well, I've got some deep teaching. I've got deep teaching. I've got deep teaching. And, you, and you, you don't understand. What I have is pretty deep. Yeah, you're so deep, you're going to drown. <laughs> I think we're just going to be careful. Would you agree? Pride and arrogance will destroy. It, it destroys a relationship. You know, you might be right in what you say sometimes about others and circumstances, but your attitude makes it come from a bad source. Pride marginalizes others, that is, disregards them and sidelines other people in your life. Pride isolates us from helpful relationships in our lives. Pride makes us artificially, artificial and not real. 
Pride always wants you to have more than the next person. And pride is concerned with who is right, while humanity, uh, humility sorry, is concerned with what's right, not who is right. I've discovered something in my life, can I confess to you this morning? I can have a good marriage, or I can have my pride. I can't have both. Does anybody understand what I'm saying? I can have a good and work environment, or I can have my pride. I can't have both. I can have the call of God, you can have the call of God on your life, and you can be, you know, wonderful calling, you know, or, and you can fulfill that, or you can have your pride. You can't have both. I reckon right there is a good time to say, yep, amen. <laughs> it's the truth, isn't it? See, we've got to be careful. I love what Jesus said in James 4, 6. Let's look at this. It just says that. But he, that is God, James said, he gives us more grace. He gives us more grace. That is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor of grace to, or grace to the humble. You know, sometimes we read this verse and we can look at the scripture that says, God opposes the proud and we focus on that. But why don't you just for a moment just give some focus to the fact that God wants to show you favor and give you more grace when we humble ourselves? Do you know when you're in the midst of the lion's den, in the midst of the, the, the seemingly impossible circumstance or the hard situation, God is looking for an opportunity to pour grace on your life. See, grace is not just forgiveness of sin. Grace is also God's strength, ability, encouragement to be poured into your life so you can face the den experience. Thank you. It took a while, but I got one response. <laughs> Thanks, Joel. Hard work sometimes, I've given one response. <laughs> no, it's cool. I gather you're all thinking. Amen, that one. Yeah, I hope you're all thinking. Men, out of the box, in here, come on. So, I, you know, I want to tell you that His grace wants to be, God is looking for the opportunity to pour it out. More than sometimes we're willing to receive it. And sometimes we're in the midst of the den or the experience. The truth is, is that we forget this grace that God can give us. And when we run into the upper room place, we get rid of our stinking pride. God is there saying, oh, here's the grace. Pride will just keep me at arm's length. But humility, oh man, I've got grace for you. I've got strength. So we've got to swallow the pride and yield to Him. I want to encourage us this morning. Here's another thing about Daniel. Here's another wonderful thing about getting your miracle, your breakthrough, your, your truth, your, your, your future coming through. It says in verse 10, and we'll just go back there. Um, it says, not only did he kneel down on his knees, he prayed and gave thanks to his God, as was his custom since his early days. It doesn't have early days up there, but it does on my screen. Since his early, since he came to Babylon, Daniel had a custom. What was his custom? It was to connect with his God. But I want to just for a moment focus on the reality that he, there were some things that Daniel got up every morning and he did every day of his life. I want to tell you there's things in your life that will make life go so much better if you got up and did it every day. There's some things you think, oh, that's just getting into a rut. Now, I think there's some wonderful habits that we need to adopt. One of them, obviously, is spending time in God's presence. See, sometimes we get up and we can think, well, um, 
there's a big break. Maybe if I get the big break in life, you know, if I get that big break, I get that dream job, or I get that inheritance, or when, or when my wife changes, or when my husband changes, then I will have a better life. And you spend a lifetime waiting for those things to happen, and you don't enjoy the moment that you've got today. Thank you, Eva. That was appropriate clapping. <laughs> so you, wanna, you just got to realize that every day, we used to sing that wonderful song, every day. And I've forgotten the words. It's you I live for. Every day, I will follow after you. Every day. It's just every day. Sometimes I think, oh, you know, we, we say to God, oh, I'm going to do so much for you today. No, no, no. Just live for him every day. Don't be a firecracker and look so good for five minutes and then just burn out. Every day. Every day. Get up and praise him. Every day. Just say, you know, every day I'm just going to thank you, God. I'm going to give you thanks today. I know that there's World War III happening around me. The lions look hungry, but God, every day, I'm just going to do it again today. I'm going to do it again. Every day. Because life is not about the highs and the lows, it's about the everyday custom of life. And if you would put into your life the everyday things that are going to bring good decisions, good attitudes, good actions, and it'll bring about a blessed life. And the lotto will never probably be won by you. And I know no one ever puts money here into the lotto. Um, but the reality is it's a fake and a facade. That kind of mentality. Just that big break that day. It's every day. Here's the last thing I want to share with you today. Verse 22. We'll go to that passage. Verse 22. Right there. It says, My God sent his angels and shut the lion's mouth, Daniel says to the king Darius. Darius is up on the edge of the pit and he's down in the pit with the lions. Um, and he says, my God has shut, the angel has sent, and so they have not hurt me because I've found innocent, be found innocent before him. King Darius, I'm innocent before God. He puts God first. And then he says, oh, and, and by the way, king, I've done no wrong before you. That would have been a great opportunity. This is my fourth thought. This is a great opportunity for David just to put a little bit of slander about his people who wanted to wrong him. It would have been a great opportunity to say to the king, by the way, king, those accusers of me, they were wrong. And, you know, they tried to blah, 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 and they did this. And, and we see that Daniel has no wrong to speak of his accusers. He was an excellent opportunity, just a little word to the king. But the, Daniel's response, oh, king, I just want you to know I've done no wrong to you. He could have been sitting in that pit with the lions, grumbling, those guys. When I get out of here, they're going to get it. <laughs> when I get out of here, I tell you what, I'm going to give them a piece of my I'm going to, I'm going to set up a law that they're going to go into lion's den. No, he wasn't doing that, I don't believe. Now, was he tempted? Oh, possibly. Did he, have, did he even rehearse it? Possibly. These thinking guys have done this to me. But in the end, his response was whole and healthy. His response to them was whole. And how tempting it would have been. And no one would have blamed Daniel for mentioning something about those cruel men and what they'd done to him and, and him mentioning it to the king. No one would have blamed him. But he didn't look at what other men would think of him. He looked at what his heavenly father would think of him. And what he, he didn't see the opportunity to reflect. You know, even this week, I just realized that I just got to shut my mouth sometimes. 
Because the temptation is there just to say something bad when it doesn't need to be said at all. I wish I'd learn, but I just need to close my mouth. I don't need to slander. Because slander, slander might serve to bring about justice for Daniel, but it would never serve, but it will also serve to feed wrong passions in his heart about his enemies. And you don't need bitterness in your heart towards your enemies. You don't need that things in your heart against those people who have wronged you. Because bitterness and revenge are destructive. See what happened to the very men who had jealousy and a desire to get at Daniel. What happened to them? Well, in the end, they ended up in the lion's den, dead. And that's what bitterness and revenge want to do to you, kill you. It's not your physical being, it could just be your inside person. That's what happens. I've discovered what really eats you is not what others have done to you so much as what you want to do to others. So stop thinking about what you want to do to others. Is that okay? <laughs> A similar thought last week, I know when Andrew Ironside was preaching about his little dog. Just take the dog for a walk. Some of us have got to take the dog for a walk again today. And if you don't know what I mean, listen to the, get the um, podcast. Because when he used to take his little dog for a work, walk, he would say, Lord, I forgive them, I release them, I bless them. Daniel, had to, he was either going to get eaten or he was going to see an incredible miracle. He had an incredible miracle. I want you to have your miracle. I want you to have your breakthrough. I want to see your life blessed. I want to see your life going on. And I tell you what, God, uh, sit through this simple thought here today. You know, um, as I come to a conclusion this morning, I had three little girls with my wife, all beautiful and wonderful, and I enjoyed their, most of their moments as they were growing up. But there was a time uh, when they were all growing up at about one or just after the age of one, there was a little ritual in our house as my little girls were growing up. I'd, uh, and of course, they all grew up because they're different ages. And, uh, and uh, I always remember that there was a time when Michelle would be in the kitchen around about that six o'clock time. And I'd be bathing one of my little girls. We, had a, we got a bath. And so I'd, put them, I'd fill the water up, lukewarm. Um, good dad, dip the elbow in, just check it put them in the bath, and they'd sit there kicking about, and it was time to wash their hair. Now, when you go to wash the hair of a one-year-old, it is high on their priority of don't do it to me, dad list. And always remember that I'd get the shampoo, and, you know, I don't know what it is. It says no tears on the bottle, but still tears happen. And so I'd take the little shampoo, and I'd tip a little bit on their head, and I'd then put a bit of water on it, and it'd all froth up. And the instant natural reaction or reflex was to put their head down <laughs> and of course the soap suds and the shampoo would run down the front of their little forehead into their eyes and sting and there'd be tears and I'd say to them don't put your head down look up at me I'm sitting on the side of the bathtub look up look at me look at me look at me but no matter how many times sometimes I'd say that don't put your head down they'd Natural reflection, reflect action would be to put their head down and try and close their eyes. And by that time, the soap suds was in their eyes and there'd be tears. And I said, come on, lift your head. Lift. Because when they lifted their head, the soap and the water actually washed back and not forward. Does that make sense? I mean, that was simple for me to understand. I was even a male. I understood that. 
But my little girls didn't quite grasp that at first. And even though my little girls knew that I loved them and that uh, they, had, they seemed to have a hard time trusting me because their natural human tendency was to reflex and put their head down. They had trouble just grasping, the, and, and, and especially in that panic situation, they'd put their head down. Well, so, ah, bring your head up. And I want to tell you, when you're in the panic situation, when you're in the situation that it's not good, our head sometimes has a tendency to drop and to be consumed with the problem and the lions around us and the issues and the struggle and everything else and the pressure. But God says, lift your head up and look at me. Look up because it'll wash over when you look up and you keep your focus on my, me as your dad. And sometimes I think that's exactly what God says to us. Learn to look up. Maintain your upper room times with God. There's no set pattern or time, even though God gives us the Lord's Prayer. But spend time. Look up and get, just make sure the arrogance and the pride that the enemy himself wants to try and slip into your heart doesn't have a part in your, play, in your life. Look up. And say, I will not slander. I will not be a part of that. Look up and just say, every day, I'm consistently going to just put my God. The incredible thing about Daniel and this whole story wasn't even the lion's den experience, to be honest. But it was the several verses at the end of this chapter, chapter 6, that says this, And then the king Darius made a law. This is the king who wanted everybody to worship him. The king Darius made a law that every man and woman, child, and being on his kingdom would then fear and reverence the God of Daniel and worship that God. So Daniel, in his actions and in his moments of lion den experience, actually sees the culture of a nation Change. Now, whether they all followed through with that is another issue, but certainly the king made a decree and a law. What an incredible influence because one man looked up and said, my God is able, my God is able. How about we stand this morning as we close? Father, I just pray today that you'd help us to be a people that would look up into your face and not allow a human reaction and reflex action to be to look away, to look at the problem, to look at the struggle so much, but Father, to give our vision and focus to the answers and not continually focus on that problem. Today, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you'd have your way in our hearts and lives as people. God, there's this simple stuff that we could do every day and live for you. And we need you, Father. We need you. And we ask, come Holy Spirit. We want to have that excellent spirit, more of you in our lives. That means less of my old nature, Lord. And we need that in Jesus' name. We thank you. If you're here this morning 
and would just desire us to stand together and pray and let God's presence touch your life. I believe afresh is you're welcome to come to the front as we sing this song and we would just stand together and pray. It mightn't be that you're in a lion's den. You might be just thinking, I just need to hand over this to God today. I need you to surrender this today. Maybe today it is something in your heart. There's just pride. You're just arrogant. You just, God, have it. I don't need it. There is something, just that, that tendency to, to look to the worst, to have a bit of a say about someone else. And you say, God, I give it to you this morning. But I believe the Holy Spirit could do a supernatural. I believe His presence is here. And He wants to touch and encourage and encounter your life. You're welcome to come for prayer this morning. But we're going to just sing right now and just worship Him just for a moment. We're not going to hold everybody up too long, but we'd love just the team, if there's anybody who can come and just pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come on, let's just sing this.